All right, welcome back, everybody, to Story, Symbol, Spirit, a podcast on how to make sense of Scripture. My name is John McCambridge, and I am in the studio, as always, joined by my co-host. I'm Jackie Mitchell. Jackie Mitchell. Jackie, a couple weeks ago, we did a giveaway for the 20th episode of our podcast. Yeah. And as I mentioned several times in several different places, <laughs> that means that to have 20 episodes means that you're in the top 1% of podcasters right. in terms of episodes right. released. And when you, you weren't here for this, oh! But when I did the tag for the for the twentieth episode oh, yeah. to talk about the giveaway, I referred to us as an elite podcast. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so I don't want to put pressure on you to perform, well, but that is now now on we have to media. live up to that. Yeah, and what's on social of. media lives forever, right? So, okay. So this is going to be an elite episode. Wow, this changes things. From, okay, from two elite podcasters. <laughs> right. Right on an elite podcast. <laughs> and so if you enjoy this podcast, if you have found it interesting or helpful at all, please give us a rating and a review, subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. And today we have a very exciting day because we are going to go through. Do like a drum roll. Wait for it. I know you're excited, Jackie. I'm so excited. Another genealogy. Oh, I can just feel the crowd cheering right now <laughs> at home. We uh, we uh, could change this name to Story Symbol Genealogy, Genealogy yeah. because uh, it does seem like we, we do this a lot. But actually, one of the things that I want to encourage our listeners uh, uh, on this topic is that I actually think this is good because the point of this podcast is to help people understand the parts of Scripture that sometimes feel impenetrable, the parts of Scripture that feel confusing, and ancient genealogies are certainly something that we're not used to. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You read the Bible as a kid or like a teenager, you get like that fire to like, man, I really want to read through the whole Bible. Those are the chapters that you're most likely to be like, mm, just skip over that one. Yeah, mostly because we don't know what to do yeah. with it, right? But they were they were important to the biblical authors, both you know the super ancient yeah. biblical authors in terms of what we're going to go over today and uh, that time frame. But then also in the New Testament genealogies are important enough that, you know, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the gospel accounts, mm -hmm. uh, where they talk about who he is and what he's doing, uh, that the two of the evangelists, Matthew and Luke, felt it necessary to give long genealogies yeah. that lead to him. Yeah. Right? So there's something about genealogies that is really important to the theology of, of the Bible. And so I think it's helpful to, to go through these. And so today we're going to go through Genesis 11, 10 through 32, mm -hmm. and we're going to go through the specific genealogy that leads to Abram. Mm -hmm. So uh, a couple episodes ago, we did a long genealogy called the Table of Nations. Yeah. And so the Table of Nations is kind of a, a big, long genealogy of the sons of Noah. Mm -hmm. So these are the sons of new creation. So after the flood... Noah and his sons step off and the table of nations shows all of the descendants and where they settle uh, and, and the people groups that come from them. And in that genealogy, we saw the descendants of Noah's son, Shem. Mm -hmm. And uh, here today, we're going to zoom in on the line of Shem. And some of the genealogy is going to be a repetition, at least in some part, to the table of nations. But then it's going to go further. It's going to go all the way to a man named Abram. And we will see that this is important because the promise of salvation to the world, God's rescue mission of yeah. all creation uh, that will culminate in Christ goes through Abram, mm -hmm. this man. So this genealogy is important, if nothing else, because it gets to the one through whom 
the, the, the promise the is promise fulfilled. Comes. Yeah. Right. So last week, what did we talk about last week? Tower of Babel. Yeah, last week we talked about the Tower of Babel. What were some of the things we we got into with with Babel? Yeah, we talked about a couple different ideas on what it meant for the people to want to build that tower. Mm. So what was their motivation for doing that? And then what was the motivation or the, the reasoning for God's response, which right. was to confuse their language and, and, and scatter them. them. Yeah. Yeah, so that was... Uh, Back to the table of nations. That was Ham's descendant, Nimrod. Yeah. yeah, correct. Found these cities: Assyria, Babel, Uruk, uh, which which is what we translate as Iraq now. But places places like that, mm-hmm. and and the people are speaking the same language, and they have the same ideology, or yeah. worship, worldview, and they create a technology called the brick, and they use their image of God powers to come together and start to build something, and to cooperate, and they build a tower to the heavens so that. They can make a name for themselves. Yeah, not good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the the commission of humans is to spread throughout the world, to be fruitful and multiply, and to rule the world on God's behalf in his name. Instead, they do the opposite. Yeah. They come together in one place, and um, they, they start to try to rule on their own behalf and in their own name, mm-hmm. very similar to what we see in the garden. And so God scatters the people, and confuses their language and confuses their their ideology or their religion. And one of the things we talked about last week is this is why there were so many pagan religions. Mm. This is the biblical story of why there's so many different, you know, anti-Yahweh worship that's going on in, in the ancient world because all of these people who have rejected God are then scattered throughout the world. And uh, the reason that God does this, at least partially from a strategic standpoint, is they're scattered so that they're no longer cooperating and, yeah. you know, economies of scale to work against God mm-hmm. and they're, they're scattered and they're confused. And so, uh, the promise, and we're going to see this promise start to take form today is something that we've already seen a lot of times in the Bible, mm-hmm. which is that from this tragedy, God's going to bring good. Mm-hmm. And so, um, when we talked about the, the covenant with Noah, what, what did we talk about the point of that was? Yeah, the point wasn't you guys are going to be good from here on out, and so then I will bless you. Right. It was even though you'll be bad, I still have a promise for you, and I'll still be faithful to you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, in, and so that means that through sinful humans, God's going to have to move. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be messy, mm-hmm. and they're not going to do God's will all the time, and he's going to have to take the sin and the destruction that comes from disobedience to him and through that use it to create good and mm-hmm. to bring salvation. And that will be the story going forward. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we saw as soon as he makes this promise, Ham rebels against Noah. And there's the thing about the nakedness in, in the tent where he tries to take his royal office, mm-hmm. tries to take what's not his, exactly what happened in the garden. And so um, immediately that promise that God makes to them is put into effect, where despite the fact that they're like this, God's gonna work through them. And so today we are going to show how we get to a man named Abram, mm-hmm. who next week we're gonna talk about the promise that God yeah. makes to him, right? Yeah. So uh, this is the genealogy uh, that shows us how Abram came from Shem, mm. all right? So I can read this because of the names. The names. I don't like it. So. <laughs> Genesis chapter 11, verses 10 through 17. So this is kind of a long chunk. This is the account of Shem's family line. 
Two years after the flood, when Shem was 100 years old, he became the father of Arphaxad. And after he became the father of Arphaxad, Shem lived 500 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Arphaxad had lived 35 years, he became the father of Shelah. And after he became the father of Shelah, Arphaxad lived 403 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Shelah had lived 30 years, he became the father of Eber. And after he became the father of Eber, Shelah lived 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he became the father of Peleg. And after he became the father of Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and had other sons and daughters. Mm. So another good name to add to you yeah. and Josh's list of potentials. Our Fox Sod. Yeah. That's kind of, I mean, okay. you could come up with some good nicknames. Right? I, yeah, I'll, I'll consider that one for sure. <laughs> So these names uh, that, that we see here, Arphaxad, Shelah, Eber, Peleg, if you go back to the table of nations, mm-hmm. you'll see these in that, in that genealogy. And so you can see that this is the same line and you can see that this is a selected genealogy. It's yeah. not a huge family tree because it keeps saying, and he had other sons and daughters as well. And there were other people <laughs> yeah. there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the way that these genealogies tend yeah. to work is that they're, they're very much selections. Well, and again, that's how you'll tell your own family genealogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You exactly. won't mention every cousin your great-great-grandma had because <laughs> right. it's not necessary to your story. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so the point of the Table of Nations was to show where these sons settled and where these nations begin. Mm-hmm. And the line of Shem in the Table of Nations stops at Peleg. Mm-hmm. I think that's the last mm-hmm. I think that's the last generation mentioned in, in that genealogy. So now here going forward, this genealogy is going to go further and more specific and take us all the way to the characters of Abram and Lot, Mm. which will become central characters for the next few chapters. And so Genesis 11, 18 through 26. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he became the father of Ru. And after he became the father of Ru, Peleg lived 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ru lived 32 years, he became the father of Sarug. And after he became the father of Sarug, Ru lived 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sarug had lived 30 years, he became the father of Nahor. And after he became the father of Nahor, Sarug lived 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he became the father of Terah. And after he became the father of Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and had other sons and daughters. After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Mm. So here we come all the way to Abram. Mm. So Abram is, I think, nine generations mm-hmm. from Shem. And uh, we're going to now zoom in a little on the family of Terah, mm. which leads to Abram and Lot. And, mm-hmm. and like I said, they're, they're going to be pretty much the main characters mm-hmm. in, in the next few chapters going forward. So Genesis eleven twenty seven says, this is the account of Terah's family line, Terah, became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. Yeah. So we start to see how these family relations are going to work. So Abram is Terah's son, mm-hmm. and Lot is Terah's grandson. Mm-hmm. So when we get to the story, uh, we're going to see that Lot is Abraham's nephew. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, I think when I was taught this, I was taught... Uh, not in seminary, but just like before that, just, when I yeah. was, you know, kind of taking a story in. I was either taught this or I just incorrectly assumed this, but I thought that they were cousins. Oh, okay. That Abram and Lot were cousins. But actually, Abram is Lot's uncle. Yeah, he's his uncle. 
which actually starts to make sense when you think about the way that Abram starts to take care of Lot. Yeah, it does kind of feel like he is like a little bit like an uncle kind of father figure to Lot later in the story. So it does make sense. Which is exactly what the the genealogy says. Right, yeah. So then, uh, is this, yeah, so then the last... The last few verses of Genesis 11, 28 through 32 says this. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Mm -hmm. So next week, we're going to talk about what happens in Haran when Mm -hmm. Abram is called out, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of interesting theology, in my opinion, that that comes from this. And there's also a lot of interesting ancient history. And so I'm not really an expert in ancient history, but but I do think that it's important to at least set the scene. Mm -hmm. Where is Ur? Why is it being called Ur of the Chaldeans? Why do they get called to Canaan? Yeah. But they stop in Haran. Where is this on a map? Just to kind of orient ourselves around what's going on here. So to summarize, uh, Abram marries Sarai. She can't have children. That's going to become an important part of the story going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, Terah, Abram, Lot, and their families leave what's called Ur of the Chaldeans in the Bible and head towards Canaan, but they stop short and they settle in Haran. So when you read this, it can be kind of confusing because one of Abram's brothers is mm-hmm. named Haran with mm-hmm. one R, mm-hmm. and they but they settle in a place called Haran mm. with, with two <laughs> Rs. Okay, so those are, diff- those are different words and different things. It's okay. good clarification. Um, but Ur, where they come from, if you, think about a ma- if you think about a map today and you think about the, the Middle East, Ur is in Southern Iraq. Okay. And they travel towards Canaan, which is modern day Israel, Palestine, which Mm -hmm. is like northwest Mm -hmm. of southern Iraq. Mm -hmm. Um, They stop short in a place called Haran, which is basically in southern Turkey. Okay. Which is northeast of uh, the promised land of Canaan. Yeah. So they go way up north and they start to swing around to, to the west, yeah. and then they stop mm-hmm. in Haran, and they settle there. Mm. Probably because they're tired, and Terah is old, and yeah. maybe it's fertile ground, and it yeah. seems like a good place to, to settle. And so they settle there. And the reason that they take that interesting route, instead of going st- from a straight line from southern Iraq up straight to Canaan, they go way up north and then they start to come around is because, um, there's a, a, an, in, in the ancient world, uh, maybe you've heard of this before, but there's a place called Mesopotamia Mm -hmm. and Mesopotamia is actually a very narrow sliver of land between the Tigris and the Euphrates river. Mm. And it's a part of the fertile crescent. Mm. So it runs down from Turkey 
in a very narrow line all the way down to the to the Persian Gulf, all the way through the middle of Iraq, all the way down to southern Iraq, all the way to modern-day Kuwait and, and the, uh, the Persian Gulf. And so that is the only inhabitable land <laughs> in that yeah. region. Yeah. This sliver of land between two great rivers that wow. flow south down. And so if you're going to travel, you know, you can't, you know, do it, uh, what my grandpa used to say, as the crow flies. Yeah, sure. You can't just go in a straight line. That's yeah. a desert. Yeah. You will die and you'll, you'll die of thirst in days. Yeah, we have almost no concept of doing stuff like no. this. Why would I take a route that's not straight to my destination? Right, right. We have highways and byways yeah. and we have planes and we have all kinds of ways to, to go. But And so it makes journeys a lot longer. Mm-hmm. It makes it a lot less efficient. But you know, at this time with the technology that they had, it's the only way you can travel. You had to, yeah. So basically they have to go due north Mm. And then once they get up into Turkey, swing around, and then at some point they're going to go down south and come and settle in Canaan. But they stop short as they get up to that northern part in southern Turkey, mm. and they settle in Turkey. And so um, the the journey, and you just have to understand that this is approximate because right. this is ancient geography, yeah. and uh, water changes over time. Mm-hmm. And so where the cities are, uh, there are cities in, in the Middle East that were settled on the coast mm-hmm. 4,000 years ago that now are in the middle of a desert mm. because the, um, the, the, um, the gulf there. Yeah, it changes. Has, yeah, it's lost about 10 feet yeah. of depth, which is hundreds of miles of land. Yeah. It's interesting, it's right? It's crazy to think about. So you can't quite exactly map it onto mm-hmm. to a modern map. But, uh, but, but if you think about our modern geography, you're going from Southern Iraq all the way up through modern day Syria, mm-hmm. all the way up into Southern Turkey. And mm-hmm. then this place, which is called Haran here, is where Terah dies. And then this is next week where God's gonna call Abram from. Mm-hmm. So next week we'll go through Genesis 12, the call of Abram, the initial covenant with Abram and the promise that God makes to him, as well as, his, as Abram and Lot's initial activities after this promise. Yeah. <laughs> And so um, I thought it might be interesting to end today by talking about the ancient world and talking about this place called Ur, because this is where Abram comes from. Yeah. This is where he's called out of, and it has implications not just uh, in the time that Abram was living, but it has implications in the future as well. Mm. And the biblical authors are going to link this theologically. Okay. Yeah. So first, we'll talk about this place called Ur of the Chaldeans. Hmm. Okay, so this is where it says Abram's family leaves from, and it's important to understand first of all that although the technological constraints that I talked about before are true, that there's not this technology, there's not the internet, there's not cars, there's not planes, the ancient world is quite an advanced civilization yeah. still, yeah, and it is interconnected. And so sometimes we, we don't quite appreciate just how interconnected it was. There, mm-hmm. there were trade routes, there were you know, places to go, people in you know, all the way over in this you know, uh, Levant area of the Middle East, uh, modern day Israel, Palestine had trade routes that went down into India. Yeah. And so, you know, it was connected. It just took longer to do things. Yeah, you have to think most of what we do now is not that we do stuff different, mm-hmm. it's that we do it faster. Right. We're right. still doing most of the things that these ancient civilizations did yeah, absolutely. at a, a much more efficient speed, maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, this is a 
this time period in terms of ancient history is called Ur three. Okay. So we don't have to get into why it's called that. I haven't seen Ur or one and two, so <laughs> that's okay. Oh, Jackie. And so <laughs> this period is from uh, about 2100 BC to 2000 BC. Okay. So it's just really like a hundred year period, 2000 years before Christ. So this is about the same amount of time before Christ as we are after Christ. Oh, wow. So this is really ancient, these, yeah. this story, yeah. right? And so, like I said before, when I, uh, all of this is taking place in what we call Mesopotamia. Mm-hmm. And Mesopotamia is a Greek word that means between the rivers because it's between the Tigris and the Euphrates. It's a narrow stretch of land that, that goes through Iraq and up through Syria and into to southern Turkey, down all the way into the Persian Gulf. And basically at this time, in this period, in this ancient period, there's two regions in Mesopotamia. There's Sumer, which is in the south, and there's Akkad, which is in the north. Hmm. And so these are like, these two regions at this time in ancient Mesopotamia, these are like the earliest city-states that we know of in Hmm. the world. So this biblical story is like as ancient as it gets. Wow. And so uh, at this time, there would be these city-states in this region, and they were ruled over by kings who were considered to be gods, which okay. we talked about in some mm-hmm. of our earlier episodes. And they worshipped in ziggurats, which, is, which means in the language, the gate of heaven. Hmm. You'd build these towers that reached up into the heavens. So what they were building at the Tower of Babel mm-hmm. was a ziggurat. And at different times, uh, certain city-states would become ascendant and powerful, and then they would you know, rise and fall. And if it was a city-state that was down in Sumer, then um, that, you know, Sumer would kind of become culturally ascendant. Mm. And then if it was a city-state that was up in Akkad, then Akkad in the north would become uh, ascendant. And, and the reason that's important is because these were different cultures and different people. Mm. So um, even though it's all within Mesopotamia, Akkad was, was populated by Semitic people who spoke Semitic languages. So okay. Akkadian is one of those cognate languages that they found that helped us interpret Hebrew. Oh, okay. Because Hebrew, Aramaic, Syriac, these are all Semitic languages. And so mm-hmm. Akkadi, uh, Akkadia or Akkad was settled by those kinds of people. Sumeria, on the other hand, um, Sumer and the Sumerian people, it's like an isolated language mm-hmm. that they have found has no cognates. Oh, really? It's very, very difficult to learn Hmm. and to understand what some of these words are because it's an isolate. And so we don't even actually know the ethnicity of the Sumerians. Hmm. There are certain stories that said they came from the sea, whatever that means. So perhaps from, you know, they're Indo-Europeans from from India or something like that. We don't know. And so um, one of these states and one of these regions would be like the cultural center of the world. Sure, yeah. And then what would happen is that there's there's uh, um, uh, nomadic peoples around who would come in and because that's where all the wealth is, they would gather their forces and they would sure. come in and they would raid the cities. Makes sense. And so then that city would fall and then another city would have to fill that power vacuum. Mm-hmm. So this is the rise and the fall of these city-states at this time based on who was getting raided mm. and who came in to drive out the, the, the raiders because a lot of these nomadic people, they didn't want to come in and then occupy the city and run like an organized government. Sure. They were nomads. They just wanted 
what they had. Yeah, they just want to take their stuff and take leave. Take the resources <laughs> and, then, and head out. And yeah. Wait and do it again <laughs> to somebody else. Right. Um, and so during the Ur three period, that kind of hundred year period we talked about before, Sumer extended control all the way from Southern Iraq, all the way up into Southern Turkey. So almost the entirety mm-hmm. of the, the Fertile Crescent, uh, the, the uh, east side of the Fertile Crescent. Uh, they even had parts of Iran and there's trade routes, there's connectivity all over the ancient Near East. There's things like taxation mm. and literature and art and trade and economics. And wow. so it's quite a sophisticated empire that they have that it's estimated that there were 1.5 million people in this area, Mesopotamia at the time. Mm. There's only 27 million people in the world. Wow. So it's like one in 16 or whatever people. Lives <laughs> yeah, 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 wow. Lives in this kind of fertile crescent wow. area. And so this is the world that Abram was born into. Mm. And Ur was the city. Mm-hmm. So Ur was the capital of Sumer which at the time was the literal hub of civilization. Mm. This place of 1.5 million people, Ur is the capital. And uh, you know, you say all roads lead to Rome. All mm. roads lead to, to Ur at, at this time, time period, yeah. right? And so at the time it was settled, like I said earlier, it was actually a coastal city. Okay. And so if you go, you can go there now, it's in the desert. But crazy. it was a coastal city at the time. And the reason that that was important is because on these coastal cities in this region, in the springtime, I think uh, the, the, the plains would flood hmm. and it would create very fertile soil. Okay. So in this area of the world, fertile soil is not easy to come by. Yeah. So the places that have fertile soil become powerhouses economically because they can grow food mm-hmm. and then they can distribute that food to the empires and to their vassal states and all of this. And so um, this is why it becomes the, the hub of civilization. So Ur, the capital of Sumer, which is the world power at the time, that's where Abram is born into, Mm. okay? So the Bible calls this Ur of the Chaldeans. Mm. Now, historically speaking, this is confusing because at that time, no one would have referred to it as Ur of the Chaldeans. The name Chaldeans comes much later. So the Chaldeans were the people who were actually part of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, which is about 1500 years after this. Okay. So the Neo-Babylonian Empire, the Chaldeans, are the ones who come into Judah and destroy the city and take the people into exile, mm-hmm. right? This is mm-hmm. like, you know, 500, 600 years before Christ. Yeah. And so this story is 2000 years before Christ. Mm-hmm. So it's 1500 year difference, mm-hmm. right? And yet the biblical authors, so, so when you hear like Nebuchadnezzar, yeah. That's Ur of the, that's Chal- the Chaldeans. Okay. That's Babylon, mm-hmm. the Neo-Babylonian Empire, 1500 years after the story of, of what's happening in Ur 3. So the biblical authors, by the time it was written down, they call Ur, this ancient city, Ur of the Chaldeans. Because that's what they know it as. Yes. Yeah. So how, how am I describing this area of the world? Yeah. What, what names am I using? Like Iraq, Iran. <laughs> it makes sense. Right, yeah. Right. We use what we know as landmarkers. Yep. So it's hard for us now because this is not, we need additional landmarkers. But at the time of writing, they were like, well, everyone knows where that is. Right. Yeah. Everyone knows those people. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, it goes, it, it goes up through Syria and ancient people. And be we like, all, What's Syria? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Southern Turkey. They'd be yeah. like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, and so, so part of it is that, 
right? They're they're describing these things as to what they know of. Because this is not written as it's happening, certainly. Yes. So, right. these, so, so these this stories, is oral tradition yes. that then gets written down much later. Right. I mean, there really was hardly any writing. Yeah. Or, you know, there, there was some, but there was not very much writing. There's, there's some statistic that was like um, at the time of the Civil War in the United States, you know, the literacy rate was like, 30%. Wow. Something like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of making that number sure. up. But it was low. And the threshold of literacy was whether you could sign your name. Oh, no way. Whether Or if you had to make a mark for your That's name. Crazy. So literacy is brand new. Mm. Literacy is like after the printing press and then the way that we've implemented education. Right. right? So writing things down was really precious, yeah. really expensive, and very rare. And in a culture like this, um, and there's there's a lot of cultures that still do this more than I would say maybe our our current culture does in America, like oral tradition was really important. So mm. there may not have been a need to write that down for a long time because Absolutely. you tell your kids that every night or you tell your kids that and your family members that at every gathering you recite the stories. We don't, we lose that in our culture. We don't do that partially because we're so literate. Yeah, true, true. Yeah. So part of the reason they're calling it Ur of the Chaldeans is because that's what they know it as. And then part of it is because, uh, as Tim Mackey says, the biblical authors are literary ninjas hmm. and they're always doing something theological. Hmm. So um, the biblical authors use this name that connects the Neo-Babylonian empire that's 1500 years after the story to Ur, which is where the Tower of Babel happens. Uh, because they want to connect these two events. Mm. So the Tower of Babel is connected to Abram because that's where he comes from, right? That's, mm -hmm. And then Babylon is connected to the people that come from Abram, mm -hmm. the Chaldeans, the Neo-Babylonian Empire, because that is where they get exiled to. Yeah. Judgment of God upon his people comes through the Chaldeans, mm -hmm. right? And so Abram, through whom God's salvation will flow, is directly connected to the Tower of Babel and to the evil empire that destroys Judah and Jerusalem. Mm. So when you think theologically and some of the themes we've been talking about, the beauty of God's redemption through Abraham comes from the belly of the beast. Yeah. The Tower of Babel and the Babylonians mm -hmm. of, of the, of the um, Neo-Babylonian empire, the Chaldeans. Mm. So the biblical authors call it Ur of the Chaldeans, which connects the Tower of Babel to the exile. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of this comes Abram and the promise of God's salvation through him. Um, and so this, these kinds of theological connections, you know, this is what the biblical authors are doing. This is why everything in the Bible is so pregnant with meaning. Mm -hmm. And it is important to understand that it's not just a theological connection, like... Uh, there, is, there are architectural records of the great ziggurat of Ur. Yeah. Right? Which yeah. is probably what's being talked about Yeah, in the Tower of Babel. Mm -hmm. And this, this, this tower has been restored many times, but the, you know, the, the history and the oral tradition shows it goes all the way back to this time period. It's fascinating. That the Bible's talking about. It was actually rebuilt during the Neo-Babylonian period mm. by, by Nebuchadnezzar, his mm -hmm. predecessor, and, and who came after him. So it's not just connected in some kind of like random theological way. It's also connected through history. Yeah, absolutely. Right? The Babylon was settled 
in the area that ancient Sumer had, mm-hmm. right? That's where Babylon is in the, you know, the, the Neo-Babylonian Empire. So it's just kind of a rough geographical, chronological sketch of what's going on here. And next week we're going to dive into the call of Abram and, and we're going to connect some dots. Uh, and we're going to talk about why it is so important that Sumer and the Tower of Babel in this Ur three period, you know, Ur, the city where the Tower of Babel's built is why it's so important that it's connected to the Chaldeans mm. through, through Abram. And so um, the thing I want to leave us with today is this, okay? I want us to continue to develop and understand that God works through sinful people. Mm. And because we're sinful, it means that God has to work through tragedy. Mm-hmm. He has to work through our rebellion. He has to bring beauty from ashes. He has to bring life from death. What does that sound like? I mean, it sounds like the entire biblical narrative. Yeah. It sounds like everything we've read so far and everything we will read in the future. And as Christians, how does it culminate? Yeah. In Jesus's death on the cross and redemption. And then the resurrection. And the resurrection. Yeah. Right. So bringing life from death, mm. which is literally the ultimate event of salvation, is what you see happening through the whole Bible. Yeah. It's what God does. We, we did the Jonah episode mm-hmm. and we talked about how Jonah dies and then comes back to life. And then in repentance, the Assyrians die. Yeah. And through that, God brings them back to life. Mm-hmm. Because of Noah, the promise to Noah, because he's, he's promised that he will continue to work with us even though our sin brings death into the world, it means that in order for his plans to move forward, it has to go through death. Mm-hmm. That life must come out of death mm-hmm. because that's who we are and that's what we do. And he loves us so much that he's chosen us anyways. Uh, and so from the Tower of Babel, which we read last week, which is a grand apostasy, mm-hmm. it is a grand rebellion against Yahweh, God calls Abram. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to read that whole history. And when you get to the end of Second Kings, it's going to feel like the whole history ends back in Babylon, yeah, where all of this came from. Mm-hmm. And so you see... The, the death and then the life and then the death and then the rebirth and then the death and then the resurrection. And you see all this stuff over and over and over through, through the Bible. Uh, and it's not just Jesus that this happens with. Yeah. He's the ultimate culmination. He's mm-hmm. the fulfillment. Uh, but it's been happening all along and it happens here where from the Tower of Babel, God calls Abram, mm-hmm. which is what we're gonna get into next week. Now, um, it's important to see that uh, this means Abram's ancestors were pagans. Mm. So God calls Abram, who comes from pagans, mm-hmm. right? In Joshua 24, two through three, it says, this is what the Lord God, uh, the God of Israel says, long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates and worshiped other gods. Mm but I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. Mm. So God is going to take someone who comes from rebellious Tower of Babel pagan stock and the promise is gonna go through Mm. him. It's beautiful. And so God brings redemption by pulling beauty from the mess of the Tower of Babel story, Mm. the great ziggurat of Ur, 
and God's rescue mission continues. Mm. And this is the beauty of Ash's theme that we see throughout. So uh, next week, we'll get into Abram. Mm. And uh, just as a note, Abram's name eventually gets changed to Abraham. Yeah. And so then from there on out, we know him as Abraham. Yeah. But I always feel like it's it's necessary to call him Abram. When they call him Abram. In the story until yeah. his name changes. So it's yeah, the same absolutely. person for, for everybody who's listening. But uh, we'll get to the point where they mm-hmm. change his name. And uh, we stopped here at the end of Genesis 11. The first few verses of Genesis 12 set the stage for all of the rest of the redemptive work of God. Absolutely, yeah. So he continues throughout the Bible to get more specific about what he's going to do, how he's going to do it. But in the first three verses of Genesis 12, the entirety of redemptive history is is Mm. wrapped up. Yeah. It's really, really beautiful. It's one of the most important verses in the Bible if you're going to memorize a short Mm. section. It's good. Uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 3 is, is a good place to start. So we'll get into that next time. And uh, we'll, we'll start to dive into the theology of the Abrahamic covenant. Yeah. Right? He'll, he'll be a central figure for the rest of not only the Old Testament, but he's one of the most referenced that's not, you know, God. One The, the most referenced character in yeah. the New Testament. We'll read him again and again once we get to the New Testament, yeah. however many years that may be. When we get to the New Testament. Yeah, there's sections of Paul's writing where it's like, do you know any other biblical characters? Yeah, it's like, okay, I got the Abraham reference. <laughs> You're really, <laughs> yeah. really into this Abraham thing. But and also God calls himself the father of Abraham, or the, yeah. the God of Abraham, right? So so again, like this is to the Israelites, to the Jewish people, this will be like the, the father figure yeah. for generations to come. What's the what's the, uh, Father, the Father Abraham. Abraham song? Yeah, I used to sing that all the time. What is it? Uh, I won't sing it, but it <laughs> talks about how many sons he has. Yeah. And then you end by saying, and I'm one of them and, and you are too. Right. Yeah. Which is what Paul says. Yeah, exactly. So, so we're going to start to talk about Abram next week. And somehow you and I, according to the Bible, yeah. are the descendants of Abraham. This is our great, great, great grandfather yes. in a way. And, and we struggle because of the way we think about genealogy mm-hmm. from a sense of DNA. Mm-hmm. But the Bible, what Paul says is, okay, so when you go back and you read the story, now that you're adopted in and grafted into the family yeah. of Abraham, those are your descendants. Yeah. So what we see Abraham and Lot doing next week, what we see uh, Isaac and Jacob doing, what we see uh, Joseph when we see Moses and people go through the Red mm-hmm. Sea, as Christians, according to Paul, that's our family. Right, yeah. I know that's hard to wrap our minds around in, in our modern world, but but you know, spiritually speaking, which I would say is a deeper reality yeah, than our physical absolutely. reality, uh, at the deepest reality, we are the descendants of this guy, Abram, yeah. that we just got to through this genealogy. Which makes reading it next week, it's gonna be all the more beautiful yeah. knowing that, yeah. Yep. All right. Well, uh, that'll wrap us up for this week, but we will see you guys next week on Story Simple Spirit. Mm -hmm.